Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Brian, I think you're the place to be. Appreciate you being here. How you feeling tonight? Feeling good? I feel great, man. I've had a good day. I got some physical exercise in, got a good night's sleep, did some work, and now I'm on your awesome podcast. So <laughs> pretty good Monday so far, Chris. I appreciate you saying that. So, you know, from what little I know about you, you know, and speaking of you, you know, talking about your uh, exercise during your lunch break, I mean, I know you got you golf, you're a fly fisherman, you're a lawyer, you play basketball, D1 basketball at that, you know, and it seems like you've always worn a lot of different hats and you know like you know like now you just said you were doing jujitsu i mean have you always been that type of person just take every like we wanted to learn new things you took deep dives into them you just kept the party rolling i mean is that just kind of how it went for you yeah well as far as the physical stuff goes my dad was a football player in college and when he grew up and you know this is back in the 70s he started running uh, distance run, running and a pretty big guy, about six to 200 pounds. But back then, not many people ran. But, you know, I, I still remember my dad was a colonel or a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. I still remember we were in stationed in up, upstate New York. You know, I was five or six years old. It'd be zero degrees outside. And he'd go out there and run with nothing but a pair of shorts on. He'd literally have icicles hanging off his nose when he came in. There, there was a period of time where my dad, when I was in high school, ran every single day for three years and he push-ups and sit-ups and you know I, that kind of example of physical activity and taking your physical health seriously is probably one of the top two or three lessons that my dad ever gave me so I, you know i grew up playing sports very competitive i had a brother who's a good athlete very competitive played basketball in high school made state finals after that got involved in golf in my early 30s i thought chris like a lot of people that pick up golf i thought how hard could the damn sport be? I'm a division one athlete. The ball is literally sitting there, not moving. I'll be a scratch golfer in a couple of years. And, you know, I'm almost 50 now. I've, I've gotten fairly close, but I've never been a scratch. So my, my whole life has been centered around uh, intellectual and physical pursuits. And the latest physical pursuit is I took up Brazilian jiu-jitsu when I was 47, which I got to tell you, for anybody that's listening, that's thinking about doing this, I don't care how young or how old you are. If you're thinking about it, do it now. Everybody I talked to who does jujitsu said, man, I wish I would have started this earlier. So I've been training jujitsu for about three years and I'll be 50 in a couple months. And probably the best thing I've done in the past 10 years, at least from a physical standpoint. 
Was that just something you always wanted to do? I mean, I'm one of those guys who've been thinking about doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and that's just because I've been doing CrossFit probably the past eight or nine years, and it's Love kind it. of yeah, and it's kind of like, well, man, maybe I want to move on to something different now. You know, see how I can do that. You know, I kind of feel like I've mastered, not really mastered, but I've set or achieved every every goal that I wanted to in CrossFit, right? So it's just like, yeah. right now, is there anything left I need to give it? You know, does it have anything to sort of give back to me? But, you know, what's the next thing? You know, I mean, yeah. is that just kind of how it was for you to say, like, I'll pick this up and see what happens? Yeah, very, very similar story. I actually was a CrossFitter myself and did that for quite some time. I found CrossFit to be a much better form of exercise than just pure running. I love the functional aspects of CrossFit. And, you know, I've got three teenagers now. So I started CrossFit when they were very young with the idea that number one, it was awesome. Number two, super hard. And number three, it would allow me functionally to be active as my kids grow older, I stopped doing CrossFit and picked up jujitsu. I'd been thinking about jujitsu for years, frankly. And matter of fact, I started thinking about jujitsu in the early nineties mm-hmm. when my brother and I watched the first UFC and we watched this little skinny Brazilian kid, Royce Gracie beat everybody. Oh, but wow. yeah, so, so I, I never really worked up the courage to actually walk into a gym and, and I'll tell you how this happened. So like I said, I've been thinking about it for quite some time. I know a lot of people that really like martial arts and stuff like that. And I, I run a law firm and I hired an associate three years ago. I was looking at his resume, Purple Belt and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I talked to him a little bit about it. And that was kind of the thing that kind of got me over the mental obstacle. So I, I literally, Chris, Googled Jiu-Jitsu near me, went, walked to, or drove, I guess, five minutes to the closest jujitsu studio, right. didn't know a single person there, was completely intimidated, felt like a total idiot when I walked in there to be told. I didn't even know how to tie the dang belt, didn't have a uniform, <laughs> nothing. And it, 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 in retrospect, I'm, it took quite a bit of courage to do that because like in my jujitsu studio, there are some, the, the number one grappler in the world uh, is it my jujitsu studio, for instance? So there's a lot of very, very good uh, practitioners at my gym, and it was very intimidating at first. But I'll tell you what I found, Chris. First of all, if you're a CrossFitter, you will absolutely love jujitsu because jujitsu, it's like people call it uh, forced yoga or <laughs> functional CrossFit. And so, you know, I, and I've actually started with a few friends of mine that are a little bit older, and now, I lift weights and do a, a few other physical things, but jujitsu is 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 the core mm-hmm. of my workout and a lot of other people's workouts. And so it's a it's a phenomenal physical exercise, but there's so much more to it. So I would I would strongly encourage you to find a good jujitsu studio near you and go give it a shot. I mean, I I, I walked into my first jujitsu class, uh, Chris, and I got paired up with this. Guy who's about 41, 42. I outweighed him by 50 pounds. I'm five inches taller than this guy. He he literally looked like a computer nerd. <laughs> and he absolutely <laughs> destroyed me. Like I was just, that. I mean, just arm bar and choke, and I couldn't move the guy, and I was exhausted in one minute. And what what happens to some people when they walk in and that happens to them, Chris, is they go, I gotta get the hell out of here. I'm never coming back. But what 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 happened to me was I said, man, I got to learn how to do this. Like this guy, I'm completely helpless against this guy that I outweigh and I'm so much bigger and faster and stronger than, and I had no chance. And so I thought, you know, I thought, man, I got to, 
I got to learn how to do this. So again, I, I strongly encourage you to do that. There's so many good lessons beyond the physical lessons, discipline, getting in good health, the friendships I've made when you're going through something hard with somebody, just like the military or sports or stuff like that, you tend to form closer bonds. And so I, I had no idea, Chris, when I was going to walk, when I walked in this jujitsu, I thought I was going to learn self-defense yeah. and get in shape. And I did both still doing both, but there's so much more to it. The friendships, the camaraderie, the lessons I've learned about myself and other people. So there really is, uh, there, there's a lot more to it than just the fighting part of it. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, I, I may have said this on here before, so sorry folks, but, you know, in terms of CrossFit, you know, when I walked in there, um, you know, I was kind of one of the newer kids in the class. It was just getting started at the gym I was at and, you know, made a friendship with a, you know, with a great dude. And we started training together and, you know, kind of just even not only training to with each other, but hanging out on the outside too. And then one day he asked me to be in his wedding, you know, and like, you know, we still <laughs> friends eight years later, you know? So yeah, isn't that, isn't that, isn't that awesome? And, and I think that's because Chris, because you and your friend went through something difficult together, exactly. like you form bonds. And, and I had, I had lost sight of that a little bit in my, Older years, I mean, I was in something called the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M, which is a military academy inside oh, the school. Virginia Tech like that. Yeah, Virginia Tech. Actually, Virginia Tech, VMI have the only two other cores outside the military yeah. academies. That are like full smack, time. Dab, smack dab in the middle between them two, right? There. Smack dab in the yeah. middle. And yeah, yeah so, so that experience, it was super, super tough. But man, I made some close friendships. My sports experience, super tough close, close friends. So, you know, CrossFit, jujitsu, you name it, anything that's difficult that you go through together mm -hmm. necessarily creates these really close bonds and going on 50, sometimes hard to meet new friends. Sometimes you kind of got your set of friends and you don't meet new friends. And, and man, I feel so lucky to have this whole new group of super, super good people. I tell you the other thing about jujitsu that I mean, I didn't know if I was going to go in there and there's going to be a bunch of meatheads that just want to sure. kick my butt every day. And yeah, there's there's some meatheads just like there is and everything. But the vast majority of people, just like CrossFit and Jiu-Jitsu, they want to help you. Like they want you to get better. They don't want to hurt you. And so I was afraid of that, especially as a, as a little bit older guy. That I was that people were just going to come and try to beat me up all the time, and it's sure. it's actually the exact opposite. They they want you to succeed. It's it's exactly. a great team environment. Yeah, rising tide lifts all boats, right? So that's right, my friend. That's, yeah, that's one thing I've learned that uh, you know, I've worked out with a bunch of different firefighters in our community and police officers. You know, even though I'm not doing the type of job that they're doing, but just going through a hard workout, you know, and just you know, giving all I got and 100, you know, physical and mental at the same time. It's like, damn, all right. This is what it's about, you know. Then at the end of it, you know, we're high fiving and you know, talking, you know, talking trash to each other and just having a good time. And it's like, man, we're building something here. And you know, and it was like a, yeah. a sense of camaraderie that you don't, yeah. you know. And I'm and I'm, you know, I'm 36 years old and I'm one of those guys that you know that I don't really I don't go out to bars or anything after work. Usually after work, I'm at the gym and then I come home and I eat and shower, sleep, and rinse and repeat. You know, and that's kind of my thing. That as far as meeting people. These are the type of relationships I've surrounded myself with. And it's gave myself a lot healthier mindset. You know, you're the average of the five people you, you hang out with the most, right? Whatever that quote. hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, it's interesting. You'd say that Chris, cause I've been using that quote quite a bit lately. And I'll like tell you the context in which I've been using that quote is my older son. 
I just dropped him off a week and a half ago at Texas A&M for Hell Week for the Corps of Cadets. And it makes me feel so good to know that the kids he's surrounded with his first year of college are guys that are going to be Army Rangers and Marine Corps officers and business leaders. And so and guys that want him to succeed, that want him to make grades, as opposed to (laughs) some kids go off to college and they're surrounded by people that want to see how much they can drink exactly, and how much they can chase girls or guys or whatever it is. And so it, it, that that saying for people that aren't familiar with it is so true. Uh, you, you become the, the saying is you become the average of the five people you hang out with the most. But it's, it's more about the crowd you're in. You kind of start adopting a lot of their personalities. I mean, look at this. I'm wearing my jujitsu t-shirt right now as we're doing this podcast. And it's because I'm proud to be a part of this gym. No, you know? I got my CrossFit shirt on here. This is a, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we did a, what is it, you know, breast cancer awareness workout last yeah. year on the shirts from it. So, yeah. yeah. Do you know, uh, but while you were talking, I was thinking, you're talking about dropping your son off at Texas A&M. Do you know who uh, Marcus Luttrell is? Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. One of my good friends from A and M is good friends with him and his brother. I think he's got a brother, doesn't he? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I'm pretty sure he probably yeah. does, but I'm not hundred yeah. percent. But I mean, where I was going with that point was that you know I was listening to him on a podcast, and you know he was talking about how you know uh, his boys were you know when he was getting saved in Afghanistan, they basically crashed a helicopter in order to get him out. And you know, at the end of the day, you know they kind of give each other shit and they play along with each other. But he knows that he said a story about. He was asleep one night and they came barge into his house and threw him in his pool and took all of his liquor. But he knows that at the end of the day, they got his back no matter what, you know, and they're, yeah. they, that brotherhood they built up was something that, you know, he'll never experience anything else like it in his life. It's like, wow, that's what it's all about. Just to know you have a group of guys or a group of friends, whoever, just to be at your side at a moment's notice. But even though, you know, you can share those type of gags with each other on the way. So yeah, it's- no, no, no doubt about it. We have a, we have a saying in the core that you're, your freshman year buddies will marry you and bury you. And as I get older, I see the truth of that statement. It becomes more and more true. Every single person in my wedding pretty much went through the Corps cadets with me and every single one of them are still good friends of mine. So, but again, that that's what we were talking about earlier, Chris, that going through hard stuff together really forms those bonds. And, you know, that that's one of the lessons I've learned over probably the last three or four years is, and I had kind of lost sight of this in my mid forties, true happiness, true fulfillment. You can only really get that when you have to struggle to obtain something like you can be happy for short periods of time, going out and drinking beer with your friends or playing cards or stuff like that, or watching sports. There's, and there's, there's obviously there's nothing wrong with doing that, but, but true deep fulfillment comes from struggle. I mean, I'm when I got the so in jujitsu, you got belts and then you get <clears throat> little stripes on your belts as, as you get closer and closer to the next rank. And I remember the first the first stripe I got on my white belt as a beginner. Professor calls me up in front of the class, gives me a white belt, shakes my hand, takes some pictures. And then I started driving home and I bust out crying and I could not stop crying and it was because i was so happy 
about being able at 47 years old to go wrestle with a bunch of 30 year olds for a year and, and earn this. And, you know, I'm calling my dad crying, dad, I know this is going to sound so stupid to you, but I just got this piece of tape on my belt. And, and the, the point is, is that the reason I was so happy about that is because it was hard, sure, not because it was easy. So, and it's the same thing with CrossFit. When you're done with a Murph, <laughs> oh. like what can you have such a, I mean, first of all, you're completely wiped out. Yeah. But then after that, you're like, I just accomplished something sure. that not many people can accomplish, you know? No, I agree hundred percent that that's one thing as far as, you know, if we want to go down the mindset route, that's what CrossFit taught me. You know, I mean, we go back towards my college days and stuff, you know, I didn't really have that type of mindset. I was one of those kids that was, you know, just looking forward Thursday night, you know, what are we doing boys? Where are we going at? You know, where are we going to go? <laughs> at? And, and it caught up with me. And, you know, when I graduated, I found out, I was like, Ooh, that wasn't the best move by me. I shouldn't have been that person, you know? And it was like, you know, I, I, every time something got hard, I would try to figure out probably the way, the easiest way to get out of it or just doing the bare minimum enough to like I got by. Yeah. And it wasn't until, you know, I saw, you know, my friends, you know, after college kind of moving off and, you know, doing bigger things with their lives, getting jobs, moving to a bigger city, you know, starting, you know, families and stuff. And I was, you know, living at home with mom and pop. And I was like, damn, what have I been doing? And and then, you know, somewhere along the way, I decided to change my, you know, my mindset. I went back to, you know, school, got my master's and then decided to continue on from there. And then, you know, I found CrossFit and it was kind of like I thought it would be a normal workout. And it was like. No, like the things we've been talking about, it's like, hey, we do hard things. So it makes daily life a lot better, you know, a lot easier. And then you find out what you're made of inside. And and you keep that mentality through all things. With it, or I've kept that mentality through all different things, you know, like, you know, starting this podcast, you know, and it was going to be hard in the beginning, but I was going to grind through it and and see what would, ha- you know, see if magic would be made later on. Now I get to have a cool conversation with you. And, and <laughs> a lot of it, you know, that I found out that I had an uncle share this with me that, you know, when you're in college, that. No matter what, if you're hungover, you just think you're sick, whatever it is, just show up, just go to class, you yeah. know, and that like, and that stuck with me for whatever reason. And I've used it to this day that, you know, a lot of my, if you want to call it success, is just that me showing up and doing the work and just doing the grunt work and grinding it up, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. You know, my dad used to tell me, he goes, the difference between an athlete and somebody who just works out as an athlete exercises when they don't feel like it. Mm. And so that is so ingrained in my mentality and has been for so long that like, you know, I would set rules for jujitsu and I'm telling you at 47 years old, there were plenty of times, especially when I started out where I was like, man, I am so sore. I really don't want to go. But I had a rule that if I got in my car, I would not turn back period. I don't care how bad I felt. And I'll tell you something. I have still never in my life, felt worse after a workout than I did before. I always feel better. I might be sore. I might be completely wiped out physically, but mentally I always, always feel better. So, but, but that's the kind of thing that like you're, you're, you're talking about this men, this mentality. It's, it's so important. I think because in our country, we have a little bit of a, this idea that, you know, the instant gratification and things you should be able to push a couple buttons on a phone and basically get whatever you want within five minutes. Where, where's, where's the struggle? Where are people getting the struggle from? And, you know, back 200 years ago, just being alive was a struggle. Uh 
And we're so privileged as a country right now that for a lot of people, they have to go out and they have to look for things to challenge them. Uh, You know, I was in a position financially secure, good business, good family, all that sort of thing. It's real easy to just sit around and kind of enjoy your success and not push yourself. And I'll tell you, it made me realize, Chris, that success is very, very dangerous if you're not careful. Because people that are really successful, whether it be financially or otherwise, tend to rest on their laurels sometimes. And it's easy to do. And I found myself in my mid-40s getting a little bit overweight, getting a little bit out of shape, getting a little bit lazy. I start looking around. The guys I play golf with, the bellies are getting bigger. Mm. The chins are getting longer. (laughs) The hair is getting grayer. And I kind of thought to myself, I said, I know I'm getting older, but I don't want to get older as fast as those guys are getting older. You know? So I was kind of using some of my fat buddies as as, as motivation because I was like, man, I, I know I'm probably going to look old like that eventually, sure. but I want to I want to push it off for another ten years or so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's one of the one things that you know I went down this active lifestyle and you know that your growth mindset was that one of those things that I had a goal to live to a hundred. You know, I want to be carry on. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, I guess, because I don't think nobody in my family has done it. And yeah. I thought it would be cool in that, you know, you have to learn that, yeah, you know, sacrificing some things, you know, as far as, you know, drinking beer on a golf course and, you know, just slamming down hot dogs and stuff. You know, there's <laughs> I guess there is a time and place for that, but you can't do it, you know, six days or seven days a week all the time. You know, you got to, you know, end up, you know, making changes in your life if you want to go towards these goals and, and one yeah. thing that there's, you know, like I said, there's sacrifices and, you know, there's, it's and it's kind of a double edged sword that, you know, when you go down you start this new lifestyle, you know, Hey, I want to, I'm looking out for me. I don't want to be 50 years old with my belly hanging over my belt and gray hair and just, you know, and, and be, not be able to walk 18 holes, you know? Yeah, that, for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, it's like, yeah, you start to do that and you start to become that person who you're able to walk 18 holes and you look, you don't have to, you know, a beer belly or whatever belly hanging over your belt. But then what I mean by a double-edged sword, then some other people, like you said, like success can be dangerous. They look down on you. Like, what do you, you know, oh, we all can't be like Chris or Brian, you know, he's over there just, you know, eating uh whatever's a salad and a water. <laughs> you know, and it's like, what, what, because I'm trying to be, you know, look out for me and that's, I want to feel good. You know why I do this? I mean, I don't see the issue here. You know, I've had people call me out at dinner and one time that, you know, I've, they all ordered dessert and I didn't. And they're like, well, I guess Chris, you don't eat stuff like this. And I was like, no, I do, but I just don't eat it every day. You know I mean? Yeah. yeah I remember, I remember a similar story. So it's about a year into jujitsu and I cut back significantly on my alcohol intake because it's very hard to drink alcohol and then go train jujitsu the next day. And so anyway, it was a Friday night. I had trained for an hour from six thirty to seven thirty. My wife and I went up to the country club to have dinner with some couples and I'm the only one that's not drinking alcohol. And everybody's looking at me like, okay, Brian, (laughs) something wrong with you. And I, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, how easy it is to slip in. Like we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. slip into groups where you don't even think twice about, and there's, Oh, wait, there's nothing. I love wine. I love scotch. I agree. All that stuff there. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all, but you know, moderation and everything type thing. But the point is, is you get to, you're not careful, you'll you'll find yourself in situations where you kind of look around at the circle that you're spending time with, and you you don't even realize how much influence, positive 
or negative sure. that the people you're hanging out with have on you. So, you know, like the golf course is a good example. After golf, it's tradition that everybody goes to the 19th hole and knocks back some cocktails. Sure. And that <laughs> that's, I've done that a few times, but that's, that's never really been my thing, but it is hard because it's so natural. And that's why, like we were saying earlier, one bit of advice that I've, that I've had for my kids and people that, that care about what I have to think about anything is just be real careful about who you're spending your time with. Sure. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent, you know, that, yeah, there's a lot of different roads you can go down and that, you know, and if you go down that road too long, then it's hard to get back. And, you know, somebody, I heard somebody say this one time that if you, when you decide that you want to, get better and you want to make a life changing choice of whether it be lose weight, you know, go become a lawyer, a doctor, whatever that you have to get better the same way you got sicker or sick. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, wow, that I didn't, for some reason that never resonated with me until I thought about it a little bit. It's like, Oh, that makes so much sense. You know, you got to start doing everything the right way. And, you know, before, you know, instead of going down the wrong road and go down the right road and, you know, and if you get off on the, uh, the barrier or the whatever the shoulder it's okay every once in a while i mean you know like you said you know i'm with you on like i don't mind having a glass of wine bourbon something you know with friends and stuff but you know it's one of those things that also like i always plan out my next day like oh what am i working out in the morning you know is this going to affect me my performance or whatever so yeah you know and like you said there's a time and place for it but it's also that at the end of the day you know i want to look out for my best interest and still go towards you know, my goals or whatever it is that I want to do. And it's so hard too, because of, you know, with uh, like the friend groups that you're in and then all of a sudden you're not the cool person and you're like, Oh, you know, you're the, the, the guy that's, you know, too good to do things like that. Then that can kind of almost be a, you know, a thing to your mind too. And I, and I don't want to say it'll lead you down to depression or whatever, but you know, you're like, Hey, everyone's going out on Friday night and you're going home, you know, yeah, yeah to get, get your eight hours or whatever. And you're like, man, you know, this is, you know, that starts to place in your head. Maybe that's just me thinking out loud or whatever, but I think it does for the most people because they're trying to do everything all at once. And you're like, Ooh, wait, maybe I do want to go out, but like, no, I got to watch out for me. You know, does that kind of make sense? What I'm saying? A hundred percent. And, and, and I'll, and I'll tell you one of the things, and there's a great book about this called atomic habits by a guy named James clear. <clears throat> yeah. And James has a bunch of good stuff in there. And one of the things that I really like that he talks about is it's easier to do things when those things are part of your identity. So as opposed to I'm going to go work out saying I'm the type of person that works. I'm an athlete. I work out and it it becomes a lot easier. I'll tell you, it is a lot easier for me to cut back on the alcohol, to eat healthy, to get sleep. When I know the next morning (laughs) I'm going to be in there rolling with 25 year old Sure. Black belts and brown belts. And so it, it, I think behavior change is easier when you, you put yourself in a situation where you want to change your behavior. Like it's not painful for me lately. It's been jujitsu because I want to practice jujitsu and I want to do it for a while. So I want to do the things that that requires, which is being healthier lifting weights, getting good sleep, focusing on all that sort of, some people call it the jujitsu lifestyle, but, but, but that it wasn't like when I, you know, I didn't look around and say, man, I got to give up all this stuff. I I looked around and said, man, I can do this jujitsu and I can be pretty good at it. 
I just got to tweak a few things in my personal behavior if I if I really want to be good at it. So, yeah, a hundred percent agree with you on that, Chris. Hundred percent. Well, I mean, it also goes, you know, you taking, you know, I'm assuming you, I guess every state you have to take the bar to be a lawyer, right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you did. So if you really want to be a lawyer, you know, you have to, you know, do those X, Y, and Z in order to, you know, accomplish that goal. You just can't be the person who's, I mean, I guess there's probably outliers to everything, you know, where that person who probably doesn't have to study can go in there and just ace it or no matter what. But I mean, there's a lot of work to be done in order to get that profession. And that's why... It's one of the top professions, you know, that in order yeah. to get there, you have to do all the work in the late nights. And I'm assuming, you know, I mean, I only got my master's in sports management. So for me, it was just, you know, reading a lot of books. But still, that was tough for me at the time just because I didn't have that habit of wanting to read or wanting to work hard and or learn more. I just kind of guess it was, you know, maybe just being a teen or I don't even know, I guess it was a young adult at the time where I thought I knew everything. And I thought still, <laughs> I, you know, I, I never got my ego in check that I could actually, you know, I th- used to think I was one of those people who could just walk in a classroom, just, you know, like no matter what passed or whatever, then if I didn't pass it, like, all right, whatever, I'll just move on. But yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And, and I was, I was kind of the same way when I was younger. And fortunately, when I went to college, I had no study habits at all. Yeah. And the basketball team and the core forced me to study five nights a week. Like it forced me to develop those habits. And those habits are not for a lot of people uh, natural, right? I mean, there are people that naturally love to study. There are people that naturally love to work out. There are people that naturally love to play an instrument, write, do videos, whatever it is. But most people, they have to kind of develop a passion for that thing. So people are like, what's your passion? I think that's a bad question. I, I think what's your purpose mm. is a better question. And so I've been, I've been thinking a lot about like, what's the purpose of life lately <laughs> as I get a little bit older and, you know, I I don't know the answer to that question, but one of the things I've been telling my kids lately is getting the most out of whatever talents you have, whatever you've been given trying to maximize whatever it is that you have is a pretty good compass. I mean, if, if you're every day, just trying to get a little bit better, trying to mat whether you're a singer or a videographer or whether you're making cookies or anything, if you're, if you're focused on a little bit, little improvement every day, mm. that's, that's not a bad way to live your life. I don't think. And, Touching on what I'd like to get your thoughts on this, touching on uh, this subject or whatever you want to call it, that what do you think about the saying hard work beats talent? I think it's absolutely true. I actually, I'll tell you a quick story about that if, you, if you'll indulge yeah, me. Yeah, yeah please. It's so about 10 feet from where I'm sitting. <clears throat> there's a book that my dad gave to me when I left for the Corps at AM. And he inscribed it. The book is called Don't Quit. It's a compilation of pictures of athletes in very, very difficult situations, like crawling over the finish line of a marathon, football players covered in mud and dirt and blood, you know, boxers. And my dad inscribed at the very beginning of this book, this message to me, Chris, that essentially said, persistence wins, not talent. Mm. It's not talent that wins. It's the people that are persistent over time. And so here's the cool part about the story. My dad got this book for me in 1992. I was able to find a copy on eBay of the same exact book, ordered it a couple months ago. And when I dropped my son off 
a week and a half ago, I gave him the same copy of the same exact book my father gave to me, and I had a message inscribed to him. And the message was essentially the best advice I can give you right now is the same advice my dad gave me. Persistence wins. It is not talent. And I think a lot of people have this idea that people like Mozart or Tiger Woods or there's these prodigies. Tiger Woods is not a golf prodigy. Mozart was not a musical prodigy. They worked harder than everybody else. Sure. They have way more. I mean, there's plenty of books on this. There's Talent is Overrated, which I'm sure you've read, which is a great book that says basically 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. I write that down. Is, yeah, Talent is Overrated is the name of the book. It's a fantastic book. And, you know, as a lawyer, I go against uh, some pretty smart people. And, sure. you know, I've handled fairly big cases. And so, you know, when I'm when I'm going after some insurance company for ten million dollars, they hire good lawyers. And of course, sometimes those lawyers have you know have fairly good academic credentials, but some of them have better academic credentials. Some of them made better grades than I did, and I'm going to beat their ass every single time because there is they may be a little smarter than me. They may have went to a little bit better quote school, whatever that even means. They may have a more impressive major, but there is nobody who will outwork me. There is nobody who's more persistent to me. I will. And, you know, if you never quit, if you're persistent, nobody can beat you in the end. And that's make one of me make run through a brick wall right there, man. That was, that was <laughs> awesome, man. That, yeah, was- that, that, that is actually the, the persistence and don't quit message is the best advice my father ever gave me. Uh, and it is like that little piece of advice. If that's the only thing I ever learned and the only thing I ever teach my kids, that'll be enough for me. <laughs> well, I mean, not only that, I mean, based on what we've been talking about too, you, you're one of these people who seem to have a strong mentality when it comes to doing hard things and where, you know, I would say, you know, a, a person with less experience, a person just coming out with, uh, you know, I mean, not much confidence, I guess. That is what I'm trying to say is that, you know, when they see things like that on paper where, you know, like you said, they got better. Some of them probably got better grades than you. They went to, quote, maybe a better law school or whatever it was. And and that they immediately get turned off and then they set themselves up for failure right then. You know, and it's just like I'm. Yeah. it's kind of one of those like, well, why am I even trying to do this? You know, I don't even I know I'm not going to succeed, but it's one of those things that, you know, you you got to see. You go through these hard things to see what you're made of and see what can happen. I mean, hundred percent. And I'll, I'll tell you, there is there's fake confidence, and there's real confidence. And the mm-hmm. only way you get real confidence is to go through real struggle. And the only way to get good at something is to be really shitty at it at first. I, I mean, agree. I agree. Again, jujitsu is a great example of this, and I know CrossFit's the same way. I mean, I spent my first year in, in jujitsu classes getting absolutely annihilated by everybody. I mean, there were girls that could beat me. I mean, I'm 6'1", 210-pound college athlete getting beat by a damn girl. I mean, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> and and it's it, it can be super humbling, which is good, by the way. Uh, and and it, can, it can be a little uh, demoralizing at first because yeah. you're literally going, God dang, I suck at this. Like, I'm never going to be good. That, that little guy who weighs 150 pounds just annihilate. I mean, what the hell? But part of that is 
being willing to, I, I put fail in quotes. I'm doing air quotes right now. There is no such thing as failure as long as you learn from it. I think a lot of people are afraid of failure. And if you are afraid of failure, you will never truly be successful. I mean, I see these jujitsu guys going to these professional tournaments in front of hundreds of thousands of people online and getting beat in public in front of everybody. And the way they deal with quote loss is so inspiring. They walk over, shake the hand, give the interview. I, the guy was better than me. I got to go back and get a little bit better. And you know, it's like me as a, when I try cases, I take notes after every trial. I win most of my cases. And when I win, the notes say something like, you're awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Stuff like that. When I lose cases, I've got 10 pages that you need to work on this. You need to work on this. You need to work on this, 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 and this. So I actually learn way, way more from my quote failures or losses than I ever learn from any of my successes. I mean, failure and and struggle and difficulty, the, the message that I really want your listeners to have, failure, losses, struggle, obstacles, difficulty, that's what it's all about. Like that is what you should be chasing. There's a great saying that I try to keep in my mind a lot, which is the cave you fear to enter holds the gold you seek. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. So, like, I did my first uh, international Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament in April as a 49-year-old guy. I'm fighting some Brazilian dude that's fought in 10 fights before the fight the night before. I'm literally in my mind. Chris, I'm sitting there thinking, man, how can I get out of this? Like, can I pretend like I'm hurt? Yeah. I had a flat tire the day before. I could have yeah. used that as an excuse. Yeah. There's no way I'm going to be able to drive back to Houston. Um, but I just kind of said, you know what? Can I cuss on your podcast? Yeah, man, we've been doing it. You're good. All right. So I, I just kind of said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to go in there and see what happens. And I, you know, I was afraid when I went in there for my first official juju. I mean, there's thousands of people in this place and never done it before. And, you know, I could be literally choked unconscious if I make a mistake and I, I was scared shitless. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I still get scared before I go on a trial, but you, you got to develop whatever skills you need to develop because everybody's scared to overcome that. Yeah. I mean, everybody's scared. You think Tom Brady isn't nervous before a Super Bowl? Of course he is. Sure. Everybody is. You think uh, 
Obama wasn't nervous before he gave State of the Union addresses or Trump. Of course they are, but they've developed the skills to overcome that nervousness and just go do it. Mm. Man, glad you talked about that. <laughs> just because, you know, I used to think, you know, I used even when I do my CrossFit competitions, I would get pretty nervous. And, you know, just because, you know, you, you, it's the fact of not knowing what's going to happen. You know, like you said, you know, in jujitsu, you're going to go. The in, uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go in here and get choked out or am I going to go down here and miss my lift and everyone make fun of me? And But nobody's yeah. really there to make fun of you or anything. But it's just me just wanting to perform so much. And you get that nervousness because I think you care so much about doing really well. And, you know, it's like we're talking about the greats, like the elite people, like you said, Obama and Brady. You would never think that they're getting nervous you know like brady's won how many super bowls now like oh he doesn't get nervous anymore yeah you know he still cares he wants to perform he wants to do well yeah. and you know, and i want we don't have to go down this sports road but now where he's getting to i forgot how old he is now but now it's like i almost feel like he's going to be more nervous just because he's still out there trying to prove something to all these people who say you know when you listen to sports broadcasters now and you know this as well i do as well as I do that, you know, when they say, Oh, he's 36 years old. It's a Cinderella story. He's even out here right now. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like, Oh my gosh, man. Like I have my life yeah. over now, but yeah. 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 But it's one of those things that it's just like, wow, you know, it's just, and you, until talking with people like yourself and reading books and stuff, it's like, it, it made more sense to me and made me a little bit more comfortable knowing that, okay, all the big timers are still getting nervous. You know, there's, it still means something to them that, it, that's a great point. You just said, I think that last little part you just said, I think is so important. And that is the nervousness is because you care. Yeah. And the second I'm not nervous walking into a big trial, it means I just don't care as much and I need to hang it up. And, and so, you know, there's, there's, we can talk about different ways to overcome nervousness, but one of the good ways that I found to overcome the competitive nervousness is is to think about the fact that nervousness, the physical emotions that are going through your body when you're nervous are the exact same emotions that go through your body when you're excited. Sure. Okay. So you can reframe nervousness as excitement. You can say, I'm not really that nervous about this. I'm just really excited to get in there and see what happens. And that's one way to, to kind of rephrase that. But I'll tell you another thing. If Tom Brady walked into the courtroom and was on the other side of me, I would absolutely annihilate him. He'd be sweating. He'd be so nervous. Why? Because he's never done it before. Correct. Right. Correct. Just like if I was standing behind the center of the Tampa Bay bucks, I would, I wouldn't be able to hold the ball. My hands would be so sweaty. So, but, but Brady wasn't like that when he was the third stringer at Michigan, you know, he wasn't like that when everybody's seen the the uh, combine picture. He literally looks, <laughs> he looks like an accountant in the oh, combine yeah, picture. Right? Oh. So at some point in his career, he had to overcome kind of the newness of it and the like you said, the uncertainty of it. That that's really most of the I think nervousness for competition comes from uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen, and so that that's really. I mean, if you knew what was going to happen, you wouldn't be nervous, right? It's the fact that you don't know what's going to happen that makes you nervous. And it's the fact that you don't know what's going to happen and you do it anyway that makes it courageous. Yeah, Ooh, that's a good one. Do you know what imposter syndrome is? I'm assuming you do. I do. I was just listening to a podcast today about that. I was like, <laughs> I have that a lot, by the way. I was going to say, I mean, do you think, you know, we're talking about nervousness and stuff because yeah. I like to think that 
you know, like when I was talking about, you know, my CrossFit competitions or whatever that, and even right now I'm training for a half marathon next month. And that it's one of those things that, Oh, I'm going to be, you know, called a, uh, I mean, call it like, you know, a person who didn't put in the work that they were supposed to be doing or like all my talents are going to get, you know, shine down and that nobody's ever going to believe me. And I, or I, you know, I feel like I have something to prove and everyone's just going to look at me like, why is this guy even here? You know? So yeah. I even deal that, you know, with that, with almost, you know, everything in life. And I, you know, it's one of those things I finally found a reason or not even a reason, but found a solution to, you know, fixing it for myself. When I start getting these thoughts that, you know, I put up a red stop sign in my head and just like, all right, what are we doing here, man? Why are you, why are you thinking this way? You know, be confident in yourself. You know, you're, you're ready to do this. You've done a workout like this a hundred times. You've done your work. You did your, even like you, you've done your DD, you know, you've done everything that you need to do. So why am I having these thoughts? And I guess it's just, you know, part of, I don't know if it's human nature or what, but I think it's just a lot of humans seem to have it. No doubt. I think, I think we all have it. But here's a little, here's a little secret for you. Um, most people are thinking most of the time about themselves. <laughs> They're not really thinking about you, right? And so sure. I think mentally we have this impression, oh, if I go into this jujitsu tournament and get choked unconscious, everybody's going to think I suck. Yeah. That's not really the way people think. Or if you go run this half marathon and don't hit the time you want to hit, everybody's going to say, well, he didn't work very hard. That's not the way people think. What The way people think is Chris did it. Beckham did it. And that's all that matters really in the end. It's it's kind of like the great Teddy Roosevelt saying that I got right over here by my computer, the man in the arena. I won't read the whole thing. That's a good but, quote. I know yeah, but essentially Teddy Roosevelt is saying, I don't give a shit what the critics say because they're not in the arena. I am. That's That's the basic message behind that quote. And it's true. You know, when I, post, I posted this picture after my jujitsu fight and I had blood coming down my lip because I bumped heads with him or something. It was no big deal. But I was like, wife came over to wipe the blood off. I said, no, 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 no. I want that picture to be the first picture of blood on my face. And I lost two to nothing, by the way. I did not get submitted. The guy beat me on points. I still have questions about whether it was a legitimate two points, but that's another story. But, <laughs> but anyway, I posted this picture and I said, look, I, I've got a silver medal. I finished second in this tournament. And the response I got was over, no, not a single person said, I can't believe you lost that guy. Everybody was, that was so cool that you did that. That was so awesome. When you go run your half marathon, nobody cares what your time, you care what your time is. Mm -hmm. Nobody else cares what your time is. What they care about is the fact that 36 years old, you're pushing yourself to do hard things. That's what people care about. Yeah. Well, I like that. I'm glad you put it that way. You know, I never... I always have a problem look at it, looking at things and I'll try to look at things in other people's perspectives as much as I can, but usually it's hard. It's because obviously, like you said, most people I think tend to just focus only on themselves. And, <laughs> but you know, I guess where I was going with that is that uh, I wanted to ask you about, you know, what we've been talking about, like sports and learning different things as far as what you have to do, hard work, talent, you know, mindset and all that. What do you think about participation trophies now? I mean, do you think it's yeah, for young athletes? And that that's a good question. And I'll I'll just be totally candid with the way I think about that. I, I'm not sure that's a great idea. I now agree. I'm with you. I, I I you know, in other words, I don't think it's a good idea to teach kids that it doesn't matter what the results are. The results matter. And anybody sure. that tells you otherwise is I don't think being honest with you. Now the problem we get into, of course 
especially with youth sports, is people act like the third grade uh, local championship game is the damn World Series, and they you know they they overemphasize it. But look, uh, I. I uh, I don't want to sound like an old fogey when I say this, but but I do think uh, it's okay. And the other thing is, not only you're teaching kids that winning and succeeding is important because it is, yeah. But you're also teaching them how to handle losses and how to handle adversity. Like you know, like I said earlier, I've learned so much more from the trials I've lost and from the trials I've won. When I go. I still have this after three and a half years of jujitsu going in there, I get submitted in class and I'm like, ah, I got submitted, but I'm, I'm finally getting to the point where I'm just like, I don't care if I get submitted because I know if I do, I'll learn a mistake. I just may not be able to fix it. If I went in there tomorrow, Chris, and for the next month, I never got submitted by anyone and beat every single person in the class. I would be like, this is boring as hell. Same thing with golf. If I go out and shoot 72 every single time I played, what would be the point? Yeah. Right. And so learning how to win the right way and learning how to lose the right way are are pretty big skills. Uh, learning how to participate is, I think, important, but I'm not sure it's quite as important as learning how to take a loss and learning how to take a win. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said all that. And you said it, you articulated it very well. And that's because one of the things that I was over at a friend's house the other day and we were talking about participation trophies and that, you know, it's like exactly what you said, that you get mo- a lot more life lessons, I think, through losses and being served a piece of humble pie or just being yeah. told you're great at everything you do and no matter what you touch is gold, you know, going to turn to gold. And that you learn, like, you know, what is – uh. Jocko Willink always say like good, you know, and that, you know, when you lose something, he's like, all right, that's good. You know, I, I, yeah. I figured out another way to prepare for it, you know, or, yeah. Hey, you know, he, he got me in this hole. All right, good. Now I'm going to learn how to figure out how to get out of that hole or something like that. And, um, yeah. And it's one of these life lessons I think maybe lead to, and maybe I'm misspeaking here and I'm probably the last person who should be talking about this, but more of the actual mental illnesses in today's world at younger ages that, Maybe they're just, I don't want to say they're entitled or that they've been given everything their whole life, but they just haven't really truly learned at a young age, you know, how to handle adversity. And then when they hand or come along that path in life, then it's just like, what do we do here? They don't know how to handle it. I don't know. Can I ask you a question? You can. So I know, having done CrossFit, that I, I, I don't want to say I know, but I, I strongly suspect that you've had times where you literally didn't think you could physically do any more exercise like you literally reach this breaking point and then you and then you push through it right and you find out that that limit that you thought you had was a mental limit and not not a physical limit and so so have you had that experience before chris yeah you know first time doing murph I mean, that's like (laughs) i remember my first murph absolutely awful so so how do you know, and I told my son this when he left for the core, I said, they're going to push you to your limits and then they're going to push you past your limits. Sure. And you're going to find out that the limits you thought you had aren't the limits that you really have. And the question is, how do you know what your limits are if you never push yourself to your limits? I agree. Right? You're going to have this mental structure in your head that I can't do X or I can't do Y. And that's going to be a false 
belief. I mean, it's not true for most, most people have far more ability than they realize. I, I'll tell you, this is a little bit different topic, but a, another good book that really changed the way I raised my kids was a book called Mindset right, by a uh, professor named Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. And she wrote this book, I think, you know, roughly 20 years ago or so. But essentially, she said there are two ways of in- of encouraging your children in their activities. So let's just take a, a math as an example or something like that. Let's say your kid is really good in math for two or three years, and you're constantly saying, oh, you're so good in math. You're talented in math. You just have all this natural talent. Or baseball, you're so naturally talented, blah, blah, blah. Well, the first time they fail a math test or get a B, or the first time they get a home run hit on them as a pitcher, they're going to go, well, I must not be as talented as I thought I was. Hmm. Okay? So that's one way is to say you're so good at this. You're so naturally talented. The other way to do it, is to say, I'm so proud of how hard you worked for that math test. I'm so proud of how hard you trained for that baseball game. And focus not on the natural ability, but focus on the effort that's put into it. And then here's the magic of this. Let's say you go in and you don't get that A on the math test. You get the C. Instead of saying, well, I just, I'm just not that good at math, what do you do? You say, well, I just got to work harder. And so it's it's two totally different ways of looking at the world. Like if I if I if I didn't have that second mindset, I would have quit jujitsu in a month because I got beat every single time I went in there. And I would have been telling myself, I'm just not good at this. I just don't have this natural ability to do this. I, I'm just not that skilled. But but because of my mindset, I said, you know what? I'm gonna get good at this. Yeah. And you know how I'm gonna get good at this? I'm gonna work harder. I'm going to put in the time. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to show up even when I don't feel like it. And I'm going to figure out a way to be good at this. And it's a totally different mindset and it creates a totally different outlook on how to get ready for something. It creates a totally different outlook when you suffer a setback or a loss or a defeat or something like that. Because instead of saying it's me, I'm not any good, you say I am good and I'm going to be better. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I mean, you know, in this touching on that, you know, when you asked me about working harder through a workout or knowing that when I felt my limit, if I could push through, I mean, you know, I'm, the reason I'm doing training for this half marathon right now, so I'm doing a three person uh, triathlon with two other people who cross it with me, you know, and they're both runners. I mean, you know, that's all they've really they were not all they've done, but that's their, that's our niche. You know, that's their thing. But I, I volunteered to do the half marathon because I'd never done one. And I knew it would be challenging for me, not only mentally, but physically. And I was like, ooh, this is my time to do it. You know, it's one, like we're talking about books tonight. You know, uh, Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights book. Great Text book. Right there. Yeah. Great it, book. It's one of those things. Yeah. There's my green light. Here's my chance to actually try something. And I'm, I'll be honest. I've been training for a little over a month now, and it's tough. It's one of the toughest things I've done. Yeah. It's, I'll bet. I, you know, with CrossFit, you know, as far as a 5K, I got you there, no problem. But anything past that, <laughs> that guy, man, you know, and, you know, it, it's new. You know, it's really meditative for me. It's really something different. It keeps me like, you know, I know it's going to be tough. And I was like, oh, that's why, you know, I've been talking about things like this. You and I both have to all tonight. It's like, oh, this is what I, this is what it's about. You know, you know, we got to keep doing these hard things in order to be better for tomorrow. And, you know, yeah. even in Peter Atiyah, 
talks about longevity and doing hard things. And that's one of the keys to longevity is that, you know, you train your brain to do hard things. You train your body to do hard things. And then the next day, it's not bad. You keep your body guessing. And then all of a sudden, you know, hopefully you're, you know, you're walking through life at an easier pace, you know, on, uh, later in life, I guess, you know, and what, what is it that Mike Tyson says to, to that, uh, do the things you hate to do today. So that tomorrow they're easier. I'll probably butcher that, but it's something like that. So, yeah, no, no, I, I, I love that. And, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's a mentality that is not natural for most people, but can be developed over time. You just gotta, you just gotta show up and do it. And, you know, one of the, one of the, I have a number of different little motivational sayings that pop up on my reminders on my phone every day. And one of them is consistency is key. So I'm not going to be a black belt in jujitsu next week. I will be a black belt in jujitsu eventually. And the reason I'm going to be a black belt, we have a saying that the only difference between a black belt and a white belt in jujitsu is a black belt just kept showing up. I like most it. people quit. And so I'm just one of those guys that I just, I'm just going to keep showing up again and again and again and again and again and again until I get what I want. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, Brian, we're getting a little short on time here, but I, we might yeah. switch gears here. And uh, I wanted to ask you because you, I wrote this down, you said something about it earlier in a podcast that, you know, you've been thinking a lot lately about what's the purpose of life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've noticed myself, you know, having you know different conversations with my friends and stuff like that. I've been kind of bringing it up more lately and, and just podcasts. I know I've been, I've been drawn to lately. It's like, Oh, what are their outlooks on life? Or what do they think, you know, yeah. purposes or why we're here or however you want to explain it. And is it, and do you think I was curious on why you've been thinking about that? And then, and the reason I'm asking is because like I told you and that, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm at a certain age in life and I never really thought about it before, but you know, I'm, like I said, I'm 36 and, if everything goes correctly, yeah, I want to live to a hundred, but average lifespans, you know, they might tell you my life's already half over, you know, depending on what yeah. statistics you're reading today. So I guess that's my question though. It's like, what made you, I mean, I know you got a philosophical background, but is that just something you've started to think about recently or what? Yeah. So I guess, and I've said this quite a bit on my podcast. So I, for whatever reason, was have always been extremely driven and no matter what I was doing, I was like, if I'm going to, whatever it is, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to try to do it as good as I can. And when I started my law firm 20 years ago, I was super driven about making it as best law firm. I want to be the best lawyer I could be and all that sort of thing. And the point is, is that for a very long time, I was totally focused on myself. And I started looking around four or five years ago and I was like, you got a good business. You got a good family. You got all that stuff, but where's the true joy in this when it's all about yourself? And so I, I, to me, and it's not just me, like a bunch of the people that I've had. So my podcast, a leadership podcast, kind of like yours, I, I interview a bunch of really interesting people, military generals and colonels and politicians and sports stars and started hearing people saying the same thing, people that have no connection to each other saying the same thing. One thing I just, I kept hearing again and again and again is leadership is about serving other people. And so I've changed my mentality over the last four or five years to, to where it's not all about me. You know, it's about what I can do for other people. Nobody gives a shit when you're on your deathbed, how many houses you had. Nobody gives a shit what you did for yourself. 
people care about what you did for other people. People care about the impact you had on other people. You know, my father was Lieutenant Colonel in the Air Force and a high school ROTC instructor for 18 years. He's retired now. Not a rich man. Owns one house. Doesn't have a fancy car. But he's had more impact on more kids that he sent to college or the military than most of the millionaires and billionaires that I know. He's had a far bigger influence on the world than a lot of the rich guys that I know that don't care about anything but how many houses and cars and planes they can buy. And so, you know, I, I and it's a little bit of a dilemma, Chris, because I, I think it, it's a little unreasonable to expect younger people to have that kind of focus, like younger people need to be focused on themselves because you got to take care of yourself before you can help other people. Like if your life is a mess, you're not going to be able to help any anybody. So when you're younger, I think it's perfectly normal and, and, and probably better to really focus on how you can put yourself in the best position to where in the second part of your life, you can refocus from making myself as put myself in as good a situation as I can to what can I do to make my neighborhood, my community, my city, my state, my country, my world a better place. That that's actually one of the main reasons I started my podcast, Chris, was because I saw it was during quarantine. I saw this negativity online, all the social media, everybody yelling at each other. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to get some positivity out in the world. Love I'm going to try to do my little part to feature people that are positive. And every single one of my podcasts is a positive person talking about positive things. So it's just my little tiny way and my little tiny piece of the world to just kind of try to help other people. And, you know, if I, if I help one person, with, if I shoot a podcast and one person gets one good thing about out of it, I feel fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I kind of also realized this when, you know, we talked about this before the podcast. I've been a fly fisherman for a while. I love to fly fish. Still remember the first trout I caught on a fly rod in Colorado by myself. What a feeling that was. Called my butt. I just, I mean, no guide, no nut. Did everything myself. Looking at the, call my buddies. I caught this trout. It's a great feeling. Ten years later, <clears throat> when my son was nine, and caught his first trout, it was a million times better than any fishing I had ever done in my life. And it was because it was about, it was about watching somebody I cared about succeed. And so it's not just about your kids, but think about the times when like somebody that you really, really cared about succeeded. You're probably happier for them than you would be for yourself, right? I agree. So, so it's not just like, this is not just about being some goody two shoes or anything like, helping other people even if you're a completely selfish jerk <laughs> if you go help somebody you're gonna make yourself feel better exactly. right a lot better exactly. so even if you're selfish go help people because it'll make you feel better yeah. <laughs> yeah you know and then and real quick i mean i know like i said we're getting short on time and just that's one thing i've learned doing these podcasts there's two types of jealousy and there's one that you know when you just wish you know you're jealous of I don't know who we get Tom Brady for winning so many Super Bowls and being such a great athlete. You're like, man, you know, I hope he just, you know, get breaks his leg or whatever out there. But then there's another type of jealousy that, and I don't wish that I'm just, that's an example. And there's another jealousy that's like, you know, you're jealous because he is so good and that you learn to 
learn to do like the things we've been talking about this whole podcast, like motivate yourself, do the hard work, you know, do the things that you don't want to do so that they can become easier the next day or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's the type of jealousy you want. You don't want to wish negativity on the whole world and surround yourself with that and just be consumed by it. Cause what life, what type of life is that for somebody? Envy, envy, envy is, envy is totally and completely poisonous. I mean, and as a competitive lawyer, there were times where I'd see some lawyer got a $10 billion settlement and I'd be thinking to myself, that guy is a dumb shit. He doesn't know what he's doing. I can't believe it. Why is that guy getting that case? Not me. Yeah. Boy, that is absolute poison. I mean, that is poison. And I look around, I know a lot of very wealthy people, very wealthy people. And I also know a lot of very wealthy people that are very unhappy. So you hear this saying about money after a certain point, I think the number is 80,000 or hundred thousand doesn't cause any more happiness. I don't I actually think that's not true. I think you need far more money to be comfortable financially before that starts kicking in. But at some point, I mean, just think about it this way, Chris, if I gave you a hundred million dollars right now, what would you do with it? Buy Maybe buy a nice house, maybe buy a vacation house. Okay. Now you got 90 million left. What are you going to do with that? At some point, you just cannot buy your way to happiness. It's just not possible. I mean, you can only drink one bottle of Dom Perignon at a time. You can only physically be present. You got a 100,000 square foot house. That's ridiculous. I mean, you can only be in one room at a time. You can only drive one car at a time. There's there's a limit to, to what money can add to your happiness. And so you got to find it someplace else. And what I found is the things that make me happiness, me happiest are struggling for a worthy goal and helping other people. Those are the two things that make me by far the happiest. Is that, is that an issue with, I don't know if you want to say society or culture or whatever, but you know, we're talking about success and being happy that it's almost implemented that, Oh, you have to have, you know, six different cars and then a vacation home plus you know, your $10 million home and that and a, wearing a Rolex, you know, somebody or I heard this yeah. or that, Oh, you're not successful unless you have a Rolex. You know, yeah. and is that the, is that the issue today? And that so many people put so much pressure on themselves in order to achieve these certain status symbols that it's just like, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think there's a lot of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of a particular person on Instagram. I don't follow the guy anymore, but I used to, my boys used to follow him a guy named Dan Bilzerian, Dan Bilzerian, you, you know, I'm talking about, okay. Yeah. So this is a guy, I don't know if he still posts cause I don't follow him anymore, but he's obviously juiced up on steroids. He's always got 20 bikini clad, yep. awesome, beautiful women around him. He drives a kick-ass car, shooting all these big guns this guy's a damn child. He's a child. Yeah. And when I was 25, I would look at that guy and go, that's what I want to, I mean, I want to have 20 hot women around me in bikinis and shooting machine guns and driving Jeeps in the Vegas. I mean, I would look when I was younger, I would look at that and go, that's what I want with a little bit of maturity. Now I go, that is absolutely the last thing in my life. I would want that guy is a basically a boy in a man's body. Give me the guys that do that and have a family with kids. Mm-hmm. Those are the real men, the Jocko Willinks of the world. Hey. Those are the men that I look up to, not the men that flash their houses, their cars, their watches. That That's all preposterous and it's childish, frankly. And 
in our society, there's, you know, certainly we encourage, you know, these, these gaudy displays of wealth and stuff. But, but I do think, and I'm, I'm an optimist at heart. I think that we're kind of seeing a little bit of a shift where people don't see that as quite as important as they used to. I think a lot of that happened with quarantine when people realized, Hey, I can spend time with my family and get my work done. Why should I be sitting behind a desk for nine hours a day? I mean, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I, I don't have to work 20 hour days to be a good lawyer. I can work six hour, real concentrated six hour days and then go do jujitsu at night. Yeah. And I, that frankly, I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather do that. I mean, I, I could make twice as much money as I make right now, but I'd have to work twice as much. And that seems completely pointless to me. I mean, what's the damn point? Okay, I'm 80 years old and I got a big pile of money I'm sitting on and I don't know my wife and kids. I mean, come on, that that's the worst life I can imagine. So I, I do think that there's a lot of pressure because there's a lot of very childish people on social media bragging about things that frankly are completely worthless. But I do think people are starting to get wise to that a little bit and starting to see how empty that really is. I mean, you look at guys like there was a lawyer in Houston who died five or six years ago that was probably worth five, $600 million, never been married, had no kids, had a drinking problem, super successful, one of the best lawyers ever in Houston, and an absolutely miserable human being because his priorities were completely out of whack. I mean, according to the lawyer, success criteria, money, fame, great cases, he had everything. But according to what really mattered, he had a giant hole in his heart, like just just empty inside. So, you know, maybe 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 this podcast and others like it will start to push people a little bit, you know, in that direction. I mean, I you know, I. I look now, Chris, I used to think I wanted to make, you know, as much money as I could possibly make and be this famous lawyer and all that sort of thing. And now I'm sitting there thinking, you know what I'd really like to do maybe in about five, six years, keep, keep doing the law stuff. But I think I'd like to maybe be an instructor for kids for jujitsu. I mean, right. I think like watching 10, 12 year old kids learn this stuff, I think would, would, would I be far happier <laughs> yeah. seeing that sort of thing than I, Oh, here's another million dollar case. Okay, great. All right. What am I going to do with a stick this money in the bank? Great. So anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. You know, we have this finite amount of time on this planet or earth, whatever you want to say and that it's a point of like, what are you actually doing with that time? And, and like, you know, you talk about your father, you know, making those, important uh you know doing the, all those things for those kids or making those you know things for the, all those people rather than not being a millionaire and driving a fancy car and just all those impressions that those people have in their memories banks from now on and that you know it's almost a issue with like there's hustle culture and that you know in uh, social media that there's people who promote oh you have you can only sleep four hours a night in order to you know get to your dreams and have this big house in the Hamptons with, you know, six Lamborghinis or whatever, but yeah. it, it starts to boil that. Cause I used to think that, you know, I'm not famous or I'm not successful, but it boils down to work-life balance, you know? And, and, and you talked, and you said this earlier, and this is what my last point and we can uh, get off this topic, but you know, John Wellborn, Wellborn, he's an Austin, Texas guy that uh, 
used to play football for Kansas, Kansas City, but you know he made a good point on his podcast one time that when you know when you're lying on your deathbed, are you actually going to be sitting there thinking like, "Damn, I should have bought that extra iPhone," or "Wish I would have got that extra Rolex," or whatever it is that you're going to be more thinking about, you know, the time that you spent on this planet and what you did yeah. for it and what the people actually thought of you and what you thought of them at the same time. So. Yeah, I've been when dropping my son, oldest son off for college has been a little bit traumatic for my wife and I, as it is for all parents. And I've been thinking about coaching his sports teams for 15 years, going fishing with him, having fun. Like I've been thinking about, I hadn't been thinking about how many times I was in the office during one of his basketball games. I've been thinking about the fact that I never missed a single basketball game. Like that is far, far, oh, I didn't go to this deposition this day because my son had a basketball game. I sent an associate instead. Uh, I'm really, when I look back on my life, I'm really proud I made those decisions. You know what I mean? For sure. When I first started practicing law, my, my wife was pregnant with my first kid and I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave the city for the week that she might give birth. I remember a partner walked up to me and said, well, you'll never be a good lawyer. And I remember thinking, well, if I got to leave my wife when she's about to get birth to be a good lawyer, I don't want to be a good lawyer. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. And it turned out what he said was complete nonsense anyway, but you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a mentality. And it, it's another example we were talking about earlier. I was surrounded by people that thought if you left your family when they needed you and worked, you would, that, that was good. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I, I, I think it's the way my dad raised me. I realized immediately that's not good. Like that is bad. I need to get the heck out of here. So I left that firm pretty quickly thereafter and said, I got to go someplace where I'll be surrounded by people that share the same values that I share. Cool. Brian, let's say at home on that right there. Surround, surround yourself with the same value. Surround yourself with people who have the same values. I like it right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you want to plug your podcast, if you want to, anything you want to plug, feel free to do that and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Lessons from Leaders. It's on all the podcasting. Lessons from Leaders with Brian Beckham is on all the podcasting apps, on YouTube. My website that has my writing and my uh, podcast episodes is brianbeckham.org. It's a weird spelling, B-E-C-K-C-O-M, two C's, B-E-C-K-C-O-M, Brian with an I. And then my law firm is vbattorneys.com. That's V as in Victor, B as in Brian, attorneys.com. And then I'm on Pretty much all the social media stuff, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff under my own name. Cool. Ron, you're a badass too, man. I appreciate you being here. <laughs> Talk to it's been it's been awesome. Uh, really, really fun. And uh thank you for having me, Chris. Truly, it's been a pleasure. All right. All right, folks, we're out of here. Good night. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 